Stephen Bailey is here with us today to talk Syracuse training camp. It's all on Locked On Syracuse. It's right now. You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making Lockdown Syracuse your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Bonaparte. That's Owen Valentine. And with us today is Stephen Bailey of 24-7 Sports. Stephen, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, guys. Of course. Uh, and you are kind of our eyes and ears into Syracuse's uh, football training camp, as Owen and I have been talking about it for about a week now. But we decided we needed some boots on the ground. So you are our guy. Um, the first question I have, uh, and this is something that we've been hearing a little bit from Dino. Uh, we heard it at the ACC kickoff. We even saw a clip of it from training camp of him saying, Sean Tucker is better. Uh, he's faster. He's quicker. Is this just like Dino saying this? So people are hyped up about Sean Tucker or is it true? It's true. I mean, Dino usually runs into like three or four things he says in every offseason interview. And if you have the bingo board ready, you can you can pretty much hit it. Uh, but yeah, from what I've seen, I, I think so. Um, I think everyone knows that he's just trying to pass the ball more this year and, and running backs are involved in that. So we've seen Sean doing a lot of different things. I can't imagine he did them all this well in the past. Maybe he did, but uh, a lot of option routes out of the backfield. You know, from day one, we saw them running – like this angle flat option route with a with a rub on it, so the wide receiver from outside is coming across, uh, and the linebacker in coverage can basically either try and go over <laughs> over the rub route, and the running back takes the flat, or you try and go under it, and the running back runs the angle route. And if you've seen the clips of Sean Tucker catching the ball open across the middle, or LaQuint Allen did the same thing that day, uh, just like a cool concept that Sean Tucker has clearly taken to. We saw him catch a wheel route for a touchdown on Tuesday. Um, so good route runner. And, I mean, he's got amazing change of pace. So, like, that I think naturally, uh, you know, connects with a lot of the stuff they're doing there. I, I, and what we haven't seen yet is his pass protection. He, Sean himself said he knows that needs to be better. He needs to be better at executing those blocks. So um, that will probably come around in the scrimmages more. But, yeah, I mean, Sean – looks to be in just as good a shape as he was last year, if not better, um, and definitely looks comfortable as a receiver. So we sort of hear Sean in, in a little bit more involved in the passing game this year. So we'll go to the passing game with Schrader. I've heard a lot about, you know, the work he put in in the summer and the improvements that he was going to come into uh, preseason camp with this year. What have you seen from Schrader? Have you seen, you know, big improvements since last year? Not so much, or he's just starting to start. Uh, getting a little bit more comfortable with the personnel he's around. Yeah, well, he's definitely more comfortable with the receivers. I think that's clear. You can see the small signs of body language, the conversation, and the ability to anticipate a little bit. Um, I think part of that is just stacking reps with those guys, and part of it's having, you know, and this is according to Schrader and the receivers themselves, having a system that allows you to be more flexible. It's not just two or three different routes receiver could run it's seven or eight different 
you know, a few a few different options and then adjustments off those options you can make. And, and at this point, it feels like they're playing a little bit more freely, and it's just the ability to see the field the same way. And I think Schrader yesterday that the quarterback and receiver can both be wrong, and if they're still doing the same thing. It still works because it works. Again. You know what I mean? They get the connection. Maybe it works against a mismatch or the you know the way a certain defensive player is playing or space on the field. Just like they have flexibility to play and go outside the constructs of the offense if needed um how much more accurate is garrett schrader as a quarterback i mean that's really hard to evaluate based on you know i'm comparing routes on air and one-on-ones and limited goal line and team period snaps to live game last year in a different system against you know against defenses obviously against other teams defenses so you know he he, he throws the best ball of syracuse's quarterbacks i feel pretty comfortable saying that he's been accurate um good strength you know he's thrown some field side stuff uh, that that looks good. Not a lot of wobbly balls. He's not putting balls in the dirt. Um, his mistakes have been he threw an interception um, trying to force a ball into zone coverage and goal line once, and he shorted a couple of deep balls in the team period on Tuesday. One of them was, I think, kind of situational. It's like fourth and long, and he just kind of threw it up. So, you know, I, I know a lot of Syracuse fans saw Schrader throwing two interceptions in a team period and probably react yeah, strongly. Uh, you know, that's that's not the whole story. It doesn't mean he's necessarily, like, made some dramatic improvements. I just don't think it's fair to put that under the microscope. Um, but, my, you know, my concern is you have all these options and you can do so much more as a passer. It gives you more places to make mistakes, too, right? So uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm really interested to see how that pans out early this season. And sticking on Schrader for a second, you kind of mentioned it. How is he compared to all the backups, especially the two new guys in Valari and Carlos Del Rio Wilson? Yeah. So, again, I'll say I'm going off of just in terms of how they're throwing the ball, like routes on air and one-on-ones. And I think Schrader looks the best, and then Del Rio Wilson is pretty clearly second. You know, all the other guys have had, you know, have misfires here and there, like real misfires, like, like not – not great passes, not catchable balls. Um, not all the time, but some of the time. And the other, other two, I think, really do throw them. Um, the the big thing I see with Del Rio Wilson is like he he is the earliest releaser in the bunch on his initial read. Like he throws balls really early before receivers come out of breaks. But because he doesn't, <laughs> like he's still learning the offense. Like that has led to some like some misses. Like if he's on, I mean, if he throws the to the wrong place and sometimes I can't tell or the receiver runs the wrong route or they're on the same page with that that kind of stuff Uh, and then when it seems like when the initial read isn't there like when he's doesn't kind of pull the trigger the first time he hasn't quite learned how to work through the progressions yet and like he's been in the offense for like eight days so he he needs time to kind of continue to learn let things slow down and stack receivers and be able to anticipate what a look is going to look like against different coverages like he's going to be getting theoretically on his learning curve into the season like even a month of doing that it's just not fair to expect someone to just like you know Garrett Schrader came in he was behind on that learning curve too like it takes time to get up to speed and be able to play comfortably um, I think he's throwing the second best ball but he's still I think markedly behind Schrader because you know in part he he still doesn't really know what he's doing yet yeah 
one of the things that uh, that I've noticed from you in terms of things you're writing on whenever I hear you asking questions is it seems like you've got a bit of a focus on the offensive line this year. Uh, so I'm really curious uh, while we have you here today, uh, just your thoughts on the offensive line, what you've seen from this unit, because it seems like it has the, the makings to be a pretty good unit this year uh, and has taken some steps forward uh, in the last you know season or so. Yeah, I mean, the group, you know, was a big part of the 10-win season in 2018 and has been a big, big reason why Syracuse doesn't have any other winning seasons under Dean. I mean, it's they've struggled to develop offensive linemen. Transfers who they've brought in haven't panned out. And uh, they've gotten a ton of injuries, obviously. Like, and some of that, you know, as Dino will say, is out of their hands. And they've, you know, they started Chris Elmore, their fullback, at left guard for most of the season a couple years ago, like, the offensive line has prevented them from winning in the past. This year, I think it has the potential to be its best since 2018. Um, I think they've got a pretty good idea of who their five best guys are. Matthew Bergeron, Dakota Davis, Chris Bleich, Kalen Ellis, and Carlos Vettorello. Just Are those guys all going to be healthy? And what's the best five-man grouping? And we've seen, I think, at least three first-team offensive line groupings in like eight days of practice. Um, Bleich opened camp at center. He's now working at right guard. Dakota Davis moved from right guard to right tackle and Carlos Vettorello from right tackle to center. Kalen Ellis has been at left guard in every snap that I've seen. And then Matthew Bergeron is obviously going to be a starter at left tackle, but he's missed the last couple of days of practice. Uh, due, seemingly due to, he hasn't missed them completely. He's been there and he's been dressed, but he hasn't been in team periods. A retro freshman Enrique Cruz has been playing left tackle. So, you know, I mean, I think the ceiling is as high as it's been since 2018. And if you have those five guys on the field in whatever grouping, you're going to have a chance. You should be able to pass protect okay. Uh, I know the communication between tight ends and tackles has really been cleaned up under Robert and I. He works with the tight ends and has worked very, very closely with Mike Schmidt to uh, to clean some of that stuff up. Sean Tucker's trying to be a better pass protector. So, like, I think you've really got a chance to give the passing game the time it needs to to have a chance to, to be successful. Um, and obviously, those guys are, are well suited to be run blockers. I think if you can get Blight Davis and Ellis on the field together, you know, some of the stuff we saw in the past, some of the inside zone RPO stuff becomes even more dangerous. So, but again, <laughs> if you have to go to guys six, seven, and eight, uh, it could be problematic, especially in pass protection. Like, I think they'll be able to run the ball if they lose one or two of those guys, but a weak point or two on the line, it's not hard to see things unraveling a little. Bit, you lose time in the passing game. Teams are stacking the box again, and suddenly you're trying to beat man coverage with, you know, two and a half seconds before the pass rusher gets to the quarterback. Let me just take a quick break to tell you about Bet Online. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in game betting, scores, and podcasts. They have you covered. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet Online, where the game starts. Back here, Matt Bonaparte, Owen Valentine with Stephen Bailey of 24 7 Sports. Um, you mentioned before about how some of the backup quarterbacks are still learning that offense uh, and how Robert and I's offense is pretty much new to everybody and everyone's still got to learn it. How has it looked in camp and, and what should we expect uh, the change for Schrader to be? 
Good question. I mean, we've seen a lot of different things. Um, it's 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 hard to fully qualify, right? Like, I think they're going to throw the ball downfield more, for sure. We've seen fades, double moves, goes. Um, we've definitely seen more in-breaking routes down the field, um, more cross-ups using bigger receivers like Aranda Gadsden and Damian Alford to putting them in positions to make use of that size. Um, and, and try and maybe get some of the quicker guys over the top more. So I think it's a, a scheme and, and an overall approach by an eye that lends itself toward making the most of what he has. You know, like we've seen Steve Mahar, a tight end, being incorporated in the passing game and make some nice plays. Max Mang caught a touchdown, another tight end in, in a goal line period yesterday, getting behind Marlo Wax. Um, and obviously we, we've already hit on the running backs in the pass game. We've seen Juwan Price and LaQuint Allen do all the same things that Sean Tucker has. So I think you're going to see the ball get spread out more, going to try and be more vertical. And on a play-by-play basis, more flexibility. It's not, you know, you have these one, two, or three options, and if they're covered, you're in trouble. Um, You know, you have more flexibility. Receivers can break off routes and do different things. Uh, You you know, Schrader maybe has a few more options in the pocket. Uh, So I think – that a lot of that kind of stuff, and the stuff were installed in the spring and worked on in the fall, and I, I think we may be starting to see the uh, the blend, as Dino called it, with some of his old stuff. The team period we watched yesterday, so on uh, on Wednesday, was a lot of inside zone run pass option, um, kind of some of the wheelhouse stuff that that we saw in the Veer and shoot in the past, and some of the stuff that Sean Tucker and and, uh, and Garrett uh, Garrett Schrader did really well. You know, so, uh, and then they didn't get too far into down the line with the option stuff and some of the misdirection type stuff. That um, when Syracuse's offense best last year, I thought that's what they were leaning on, sending their their two best rushers in different directions and trying to isolate defenders. So I think the next week or two we'll get a better idea for what that blend is going to look like. Is it going to end up being you know some of that stuff? Is that going to be like how they fashion more of their run game, or is it? Or are they going to lean into more of the uh, – really be a, more of a pass-heavy team, I guess. So, yeah, it's a good question. Dino is definitely keeping his cards up. And, uh, you know, they, they're – I think we're all going to learn week one and they want to withhold as much information as possible because they, like, kind of need to beat Louisville <laughs> in week one. Yeah. That's huge. yeah. Yes, they definitely start with a big one. Uh, and one of the big questions that I had uh, as well, and I think a lot of people have had this, is sort of, you know, what's going on with the receivers right now? And there were a lot of question marks surrounding them. So what have you sort of seen out of the receivers? Is it going to be sort of the same trio headlined by Courtney Jackson? Are there going to be some new faces that are jumping in there uh, and, and getting some some more significant reps in terms of the receiving core? Yeah, you know, I don't think the depth- Depth chart is even close to settled, honestly. I think the two, the first two scrimmages of camp will really determine like what the top of it's going to look like. Um, right now, I would definitely count Courtney in among the, uh, the guys who I would expect to see on the field the most. Um, I'd probably put him with Devon Cooper and Aranda Gadsden, who's Aranda has worked with the ones basically since the spring, um, and I would have put. Isaiah too, until he got hurt. Aranda and Isaiah had been the team outside receivers, you know, for much of the spring and then the first day of the fall. Um, so now, you know, I think Damian Alford is kind of at the top of the list of guys, you know, who, who are competing you know, to solidify a spot with a starting group or at least in the rotation. 
And then we've seen a lot of guys get chances. Uh, Omari Hatcher, um, a second-year receiver, can get behind a defense, really good body control. Uh, Min State transfer C.J. Hayes, more of a possession guy. Uh, uh, Demarcus Adams, the FAU transfer, another burner. And someone who's really impressed me, honestly. I kind of figured he was just a track guy, but he's a really good route runner. Uh, good change of pace. Um, you know, very attentive to, like, the depth of his routes and the angles he's taking off of them. Like, he's, you know, just watching him work with Michael Johnson, the receivers coach, and, and Jason Beck, the quarterback's coach, who's also very involved in in kind of the passing game as a whole. Um, you know, I think he's someone who will get a chance to to contribute. Um, Anthony Queeley, we've seen before, an excellent run blocker, um, someone who's worked on the inside and the, the outside. Uh, Courtney Jackson. Jackson has also worked on the outside as well as slot receiver. Or passed. Um, Trevor Pena is, uh, you know, he missed the end of last season with an injury, but I think he's a candidate to, to really be involved again and, and potentially your starting kick returner. I'm trying to think if I've missed anybody. I mean, but yeah, I mean, you get the idea. Like there's still like seven eight guys legitimately in the mix. And I've heard people say a lot of nice things about freshman Donovan Brown too. So you know, there's there's no shortage of options there. I do think that list is going to get narrowed down in, in the next couple of weeks because um, you, you can't take a wide open competition into game prep. And uh, maybe the depth chart moves again in season, depending on how things go, but decisions are going to have to be made pretty soon. And I want to shift to the defense real quick. Owen and I have been talking a lot uh, about this defense and, and looking at it, the only question mark really lies in the defensive line because such a sound linebacking core uh, and a lot of star power in uh, the D backfield, the defensive line though, Caleb Okachekwu, Steve Linton, Terry Lockett. Those are the guys you're looking at. How much of a step back do you expect it to take and how are they going to stop the run? Yeah. I mean, it's a real question. I think uh, (laughs) everyone in the program is like very defensive about the idea that like they have young players who are ready to fill those shoes but I think anyone who's outside the locker room like kind of needs to see it to believe it right Right? like you can have all the confidence in the world but going you know and playing playing a game especially again opening against Louisville like that's a big deal like (laughs) if you have guys in the field who are making mistakes and that leads to big plays being allowed you know that has a large impact on the season um they're rotating a lot of players for sure. And the, the three guys you mentioned are, would still be my picks to start. Uh, Jatias Gear is a Richard freshman who I think has looked really good. I think he's probably next in line to play. Uh, Chase Simmons, another second year guy who, who made the most of his Richard year. Both of them have seen some first team opportunities. Uh, on Darton is looking like the backup defensive tackle. I don't know exactly what the snap share will be, but he was put on scholarship going into the fall. A guy who the staff trusts. Um, and then you've got some true freshmen. I would say Dennis Jacquez Jr. is, is most likely, in my opinion, to crack the rotation right now. But, you know, you, you're going to have to decide how deep you're going at the rotation and, and how hard you want to push some of those starters early in the year. Um, to me, regardless, you know, the biggest thing is whoever you put out there, they need to fire off the ball and they need to go to the right place. Like, that's how the team is built. Um, the linebackers and the safeties are going to do a lot of the tackling, a lot of cleaning up. It's can you get to the right place and give them that opportunity? And in the wrong place, <laughs> you might get in their way, and then you're, you know, like a movement 
they scheme like that, you can kind of get get in your own way if you get out of your gap. And then that's something Gear talked about. You can't kind of play like you did in high school where you're peeking into the backfield and run support. You're not you're not on you you're not doing that anymore. Basically, you need to like set the edge. Um, you know, if you're a defensive end and let the linebackers come through the middle. So definitely some legitimate questions there, but I think Syracuse has known that the way they the way Tony White and Chris Haycuff installed concepts for younger players this year was more simplified. Um, they've been giving a lot of one-on-one technique feedback, like time on the field, you know, during practice to help get those guys ready. And uh, Caleb Okachukwu, uh, Terry Lockett, and even Michael Jones, you know, made an effort over the summer to like get those young players as mentally ready as possible. So they know the challenge. They've been preparing for it. And, you know, ultimately we're all going to find out together how, how up to it those young guys are. When you look at sort of the rest of the defense, so when you get outside the D line and you look at, you know, this linebacking core that is, you know, I saw a poll today or a, a report today that has them top 10 in the nation. Uh, and you look at the secondary and the defensive backs, who, as we said, you know, loaded with star power and what we've seen, where do you think the strongest point of this Syracuse defense is? Are you siding with the linebackers or are you going with the defensive backs? The strongest point? I mean, I think you could argue the linebackers or the corners. I don't know. It just depends on who you ask. Like, I think I think having the corners they do allows them to play so much more aggressively as a team. So I'll, like, lean into that a little bit, but – I mean, obviously, like Michael, Steph, and and Marlo are are really good linebackers, and like they're cleaning up a whole bunch of mistakes on the defensive line that a lot of people aren't going to realize are even happening. But when you've got two corners who you can just leave on an island and trust them to not only hold their own but like even make plays to to tackle in space, they're better. You know, statistics wise, they're they're Garrett and Hughes were better tacklers than almost all the safeties last year, um, as well was you know make make plays when when they're in that position that allow you to be aggressive in the box it allows you to send Steph Thompson and pass rush a bunch which I think is going to happen this year and can potentially offset some of the issues you have with an experience in the defensive line you know it allows you to uh to do different things with Michael drop him in, in coverage over the middle you know uh spy the quarterback like if you're going against a, a, a rush a rushing quarterback you know you can take that extra guy in the box um, and not, you know, not have him in cuffs. So I'm going to say the corners, but to me, the corners and the linebackers are, are both extreme strengths. I think the safeties are experienced. They, they have given up some big plays. Um, I, I wouldn't kind of put them on that same plane. And they are going to have to tackle better this year. As much as like the linebackers clean up some of those miscues, guys like Jason Simmons and um, Jihad Carter, you know, assuming he gets back from, from his upper body injury. Um Elijah Clark, the Rutgers transfer, Justin Barron, Rob Hanna, Eric Coley, like all those guys. As a as a group, the safeties need to tackle better than they did last. They they led to some big plays being allowed. Uh, and this year, of course, is uh, a year in which Syracuse finally gets a special teams coordinator. Uh, has it looked any better? I haven't really seen much special teams. If I'm being okay. honest, we see like a handful of like field goal PAT snaps, which like you're really not going to take much away from that. Andre Schmidt's going to be the third place kicker. He's going to 
Baker, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like the snapping has been the problem or the holding. He hasn't made the kicks. So watching, you know, them work through their blocking for field goal PAT doesn't really doesn't really do too much. Yeah. Um, you know, I know Andre is, is working closely with the coordinator, Bob Ligashevsky, on finding what has worked for him in the past and identifying what some of his individual technical problems have been. Um, we just haven't seen much of that. And, I, I mean, to me, the more – the more interesting kicking game storyline is the punter competition. And we haven't seen any of that. That's James Williams, uh, the returning starter who was injured last year, competing with Max von Marburg, the uh, Australian freshman. So Dino said both both of them are going to get chances this fall. He said one was ahead of the other, but wouldn't say who. Uh, (laughs) Ultimately, one of those guys is going to start week one. And if they do well, they'll probably keep starting and if they don't do the other guy will probably get a chance so we're gonna have to wait and see but i agree with you i mean there's a lot of yardage lost on special teams last year and if they, they got to clean up kickoff too and that's a lot of ex- execution based stuff if they can clean that up that'll go a long way toward mitigating the damage done by you know a bad passing game or or an unprepared defensive line oh owen can't hear you buddy Sorry, my dog barked. I muted myself, and now I stayed muted. Uh, of the new faces, in uh, you know, between the freshmen and the transfers, who do you think is most likely, or should we be expecting to be taking the most against snaps? Are there two or three guys that you think of these new faces have sort of brought themselves ahead of the crowd, and we should be really expecting to see a lot on game day? Yeah. Um, so on defense, the first guy I'd go to is Elijah Clark, the Rutgers transfer. He played corner last year. Spent the spring finishing rehabbing an injury that ended his 2021 season short. Um, he's been getting some first-team reps. He was mixing in more with the twos before Jihad got hurt. Now he's getting a chance to roll with the ones. I think if he does well in the scrimmages, he could end up starting or at the very least playing quite a bit. Um, you know, after that, I would – you know, Braylon Oliver is kind of a little farther back on the depth chart. But the Louisville transfer has been working at Rover behind Justin Barron and Rob Hanna. You know, I see – him and Isaiah Johnson is probably filling Isaiah being the um, Dartmouth transfer who's working at corner being key reserves probably and guys who could come on in important situations like if Isaiah ends up being the third quarter or third corner you know that's a really important spot because Garrett Williams has had you know nagging hamstring issues in the past and I know he's spent the offseason doing everything he can to to mitigate those like a Fatou Malfon made a couple of years ago and Ultimately, it paid off with a great last year and then getting drafted. Um, but if you need to go to a third guy, I mean, that's important. You know, having a guy ready for that role is the difference between giving up a big touchdown on the first play and being able to, like, still run your defense without having to adjust. So, you know, the the experienced guys in the secondary would be near the top of my list. Um, Carlos Del Rio Wilson, I mean, if he ends up being the number two quarterback, Syracuse's number two quarterback has taken meaningful snaps every year since Ryan Nassib, you know, basically ran the table in 2012. Um, you know, he, whoever the second quarterback is is going to play, and it's not like Garrett Schrader is going to be out there, you know, protecting his body. He's going to be lowering his shoulder into linebackers and often coming out on the right end of those collisions. But, you know, it's just you look at Schrader's playing style, especially the schedule, that brutal three-game stretch with NC State, Clemson, and Notre Dame, um, you're going to need your backup quarterback, so I think he'll be important. And then uh, they got 
some, they've got some really interesting true freshmen. I don't know how much LaQuint Allen is going to play because Sean Tucker is an All-American running back, but LaQuint looks really, really good. Um, I think uh, Dennis Jacquez Jr. in the defensive line is someone who could get in there and play a bit. And then Jeremiah Wilson is working as the other second team corner right now. You know, maybe he ends up beating out Isaiah Johnson for the third. Um, and then Von, Max Von Marburg could be your starting puncher. So those are a handful of the guys who are new, new and could take on sizable wolves this year. Last one I've got for you. Uh, Brennack said this is an eight win team, eight win roster with a five win schedule. Do you agree with that? I don't know. <laughs> it's, I, I get the I get, get the idea that he's making. Like it's better than some of the teams they've had in the past, for sure. Like the the, uh, the talent on the roster is top heavy, and we've we've talked a lot. Of, I mean, their best ten players are really good. Like they could go play for you know most teams in the country and, and start. Uh, unfortunately, you've got to play the twenty two guys on offense and defense. So you know when when you have weak points that offset the ability of, of, you know, your best players to perform, like, it's, you know, yeah, you end up winning less games, obviously. So, you know, we'll see. I I, I get I get where Brent's coming from. I don't really think of it that way. You know, I think of it as, like, you have the schedule you have and you win as many games as you have. But you could have a 4-8 and eight team be better than a 5-7 and seven team previously if you just look at the schedule. Um, so I, I think on paper, this team is Syracuse's best since 2018 going into the year. But I think they're going to really – they have a narrow path toward winning eight or more games. You know, you need to start hot. You need to beat at least two of Louisville, Virginia, and Purdue into that, that three-game gauntlet. It's kind of a four-game gauntlet, too. You play it, too. So potentially four top 25 games in a row. You get into that gauntlet at four and one. Could still come out of it at four and five with three games left, and what does your roster look like after that stretch? You know how are those those lines? Yeah. And then you got to try and win two against. I'm trying to think who it is down the stretch. I guess it's Florida State, Wake Forest, and Boston College, and Pitt. doable, but but you know no gimme. So like, yeah, it's it's a really tough schedule, and ultimately I could see them playing well and still not getting to six wins. Final one for me. You said you've been doing, you know, covering Syracuse preseason camp for about a decade now. What has there been anything that like truly surprised you this year, whether it's a player or a group or just something that, you know, as someone who's spent as much time at preseason camps as you have sort of stood out this time around? I think the biggest one of the things that's kind of surprised me for the last, you know, basically since camp opened is like how upbeat everybody is. Like, like Dino is in a good mood, like, every day. Like, it does not feel like a guy who's, like, worried about losing his job, you know. And maybe, maybe some of that's, uh, you know, getting the new staff in and uh, feeling more confident in his offense. I mean, I think he's got a really good coordinator pairing and Robert and I and Tony White, you know, his best since Dino's been here. You know, John Wildhack said <laughs> he doesn't need to go bowling to hang around, and I, I believe it was Pete. Thamel who reported a $10 million buyout number yep. even after this year. So maybe <laughs> maybe he just knows, you know, he's he's got the leash. But Dino is feeling good. I think it's, you know, much better than he was toward the end of last season. 
So, you know, that surprised me a little bit, but, you know, I guess it's not totally, it's not totally shocking, but the, the tone, the tone of the team isn't one coming off multiple bad years. It's, there's definitely some genuine optimism with the offense and, uh, you know, an upbeat approach toward what, what this team could be. And I think that that wasn't necessarily a given based on, based on how last year went. Well, Stephen Bailey at 24-7 Sports, thanks so much for being with us today. Yeah, no problem, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Of course. And thank you for making Lockdown Syracuse your first listen every day. Get more on the ACC by making Lockdown ACC your second listen every day. Host Candace Cooper and the local experts of Lockdown take you across the Atlantic Coast Conference in 30 minutes. Make Lockdown ACC your second listen. That is Lockdown ACC. Owen and I will be back on Monday. We will see you then.